0: As this is my favorite time of the year. I was um, out walking with my wife, Allison, last night, and I was like, let's just pause and, and smell the air. And I was like, ah, oh, I love the smell of fall, and she was like, that smells like gasoline. Um, and I was like, no, 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 you gotta smell through the gasoline. Um, my name is uh, uh, James. I'm one of the elders here at, at SOMA, and we uh, take some time uh, in our service to teach from God's Word, and that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 8 and 9 uh, this morning. So, if you have a red Bible near you, um, I'm going to read our scripture passages for this morning, and we're actually going to start Matthew 4, Matthew 4, verse 23 and 24, and then we're going to jump over to, to Matthew 8, And it'll also be up here on the screen. If you're in the red Bibles, it'll be on page 857. The Word of God says this, Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. You jump over to Matthew 8, 16 and 17. Matthew writes, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all those who were sick so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. And in Matthew 9, 35, 38, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. You pray with me. God, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you that uh, we can slow down. Uh, We can enjoy uh, the seasons, Lord. We can enjoy um, just the space. God, I pray for these, your people. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that that right now we would return to rest in you for you are good. God, I pray that these words not fall on deaf ears. Lord, that you would strengthen me to um, speak them with boldness and and confidence. Lord, and that your spirit would give the increase. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. Amen. Amen. So I want to start uh, here before we jump into Matthew and just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to the, the elders um, and their families. I want to say thank you to, to you guys. Um, my wife, Allison, and I have been a part of SOMA for 10 years, which to say we've been a part of anything for 10 years is crazy, um, but we have just come out of you know a lot of of, of trying times and and good goodness, it's been really sweet to feel the love and compassion and care from our community, our friends, and our family. Right. So, um, yeah, man, I just just so overjoyed uh, with being able to be with y'all y'all this morning. And in First John uh, four, a passage that I write every morning um, before I start work, uh, John writes. To the church, he he says that you know love those who who love um, have been loved by God and and God loves us um, and we ought to love one another and it's just this this he says dear friends should love as God loves and and I just appreciate and love that that you guys have loved us so well so um, for from us to you guys I just want to say thank you so uh, we are continuing. In Matthew uh, 8, picking up on Pastor Brandon's sermon from last week, um, Jesus has come down from preaching on the mountain and and talking and showing us about what the kingdom of God is. Um, And now we start to see him work out all those things that he talked about as as it pertains to the kingdom of God. And this morning, uh, we're seeing the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah describing the Messiah in Isaiah 53, uh, specifically the phrase, he himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. Now, this morning, what we're going to see is a lot of different narratives of Jesus healing um, people with various illnesses and diseases. And kind of our our big idea for this morning, if you're writing anything down, it's this. Our experience with Jesus... Does not dictate who he is. Our experience with Jesus does not dictate who he is. When I was uh, studying for this um, uh, this this morning, uh, the first question, as you read Matthew eight and nine, that kind of comes to mind is, um, "Can Jesus heal?" Right? And the answer to that is unequivocally yes right? Absolutely. Time and time again, both in in chapter 4 and then throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus healing. Um, And as I wrote that down, it's like, this is going to be the shortest sermon ever, uh, which I'm sure a lot of you would appreciate. Um, But as I, I thought a little bit more, you know, it's not so much can Jesus heal, but rather do I expect Jesus to heal me? In 2023, with the problems and the challenges do I have, do I expect Jesus to heal me right now? Now, before we we really get into this, I just want to say by way of a a pastor's note, um, you know, Jesus' healing in the church has been used to manipulate and harm. It's been used um, to extort people out of their financial savings, um, you know, and promises of healings for all sorts of things. Um, And even as I I studied for this, being reminded of some of those healing services um, where people calling in with real problems and real wounds, um, looking for hope and finding on the other side empty promises. And church, that's really heartbreaking. And that's really hard. And that's created barriers for a lot of us as we approach Jesus and we want and desire and need healing. So I just want to say this morning, there's no intention of that. There's no empty promises that I I offer to you. Um, We believe in a God who does heal miraculously, full stop. And at the very same time, I would say we believe in a God who has provided to us modern medicine, therapists, doctors, people that can bring about that healing of our physical bodies right now. So all that to say is that we know, I know, and I am aware that this is going to stir up some stuff in us this morning, um, stir up some doubts, maybe stir up some things that you haven't thought about in a while. Um, I just want to say it's a safe, safe place to take those to Jesus Um, to take those to your community around you. And I'll tell you a story. Back in December, um, I I was playing basketball with our our basketball team. I'm a coach at Purdue Polytech. Um, And over the winter break, a group of us older guys decided to play against our our team and start to beat up on these younger guys. Um, And I went to make a move, something I've done thousands of times, and I felt my leg go numb. And a reasonable person would have stopped, called everybody together, and said, hey, I, I, have, I can't feel my leg. But what uh, James did, we continued to play. And of course, and of course, we won that game. And we won three more. But um, uh, that night, I had felt you know, shooting pain in my leg, in my back. And I remember telling my younger brother who was there, I was like, yeah, my, my leg went numb. And that was, that was kind of weird. You know, it was kind of weird. I couldn't move like I wanted to move. In, in February, um, pain hadn't subsided. And I decided, hey, I should probably see somebody about this. Uh, I should probably start some rehab, start some stretching. I was talking to my friend John Webster, and he's giving me some, some tips and some things that I could do. And, Again, because I'm me, I was like, we're going to do all of this right now, um, which is probably what I shouldn't have done. So for the month of February, you know, jumped really hard into rehab, um, trying to get back to where I was. And in March, March 9th, I went to the doctor and the doctor told me, hey, you look great. You know, you might have um, a little bit of a bulging or a herniation in your back, but you're saying it's getting better. You, you, you should be okay. So again, what a reasonable, per, reasonable person would have done is they would have continued to rehab and strengthen core and strengthen my back. But what James heard was, oh, I can go about and play basketball to the level that I was playing before. So naturally, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and go out and play basketball. I tell my wife, I say, Allison, I'm just, just going to play 15 minutes. 15 minutes, I'll be fine. Um, There was a point where I knew, hey, we probably should stop. But we were winning, right? And it was really, really good. And I was feeling really, really good. Um, I was doing all the things and making all the cuts. And in a similar fashion, I felt something go sideways. And I was like, huh, that feels weird. So I got in my car and it was at that moment when I sat down in the car and all the adrenaline washed away that I realized, oh, no, I'm going to die. <laughs> so, um, I can be a little dramatic, but I, I really thought I was going to I'm never going to see my family again. I can't drive home. This is it. I could have called somebody, but I, I decided not to. Um, so I was driving on Meridian, sweating, um, not because of the exercise, but because of the pain. And I'd finally make it home somewhere I didn't think I would make, and I'd just sprawl out on the floor. And my wife was like, what happened? And I was like, we won. Um, <laughs> and what I didn't realize is that for the next four, four to six weeks, I would experience a level of pain that I could only describe as gut-wrenching. I didn't sleep. Um, we, have, we have two small kids, two beautiful little babies, um, who don't understand back pain, nor should they. And uh, trying to parent, trying to stand or sit, everything and anything brought more pain. Uh, so uh, I was determined that I had to have surgery. Um, and in April, so from December to April, um, I had surgery on my back. And then they told me, hey, you know, once you have this surgery to relieve the pressure on this nerve, you're going to feel better. And I said, I don't believe you because I was in the worst pain that I ever been in. Here's the thing, friends. Like, there have been um, many moments in my life where, like I said, I can be overly dramatic um, and I can, you know, extrapolate or exaggerate. Um, but seriously, this was, I was without hope, with just nothing, right? And, you know, it, uh, it revealed in me that even though I have spent all my life in the church, been walking with the Lord for a while, I have a great community and family. My, my parents uh, have done an amazing job of, of giving us um, the truth of the gospel, I realized that I was okay with thinking that Jesus can handle the big stuff in my life, the eternal salvation, um, conquering sin and death, uh, all of that stuff, yes and amen, you can take that. But the small stuff, the everyday things, the challenges that, that I felt in that moment, I'm like, Jesus doesn't care about this. Jesus doesn't help. With these things, and, and it led to, like I said, this hopelessness that even if my back felt better, even if we got through a rehab and physical therapy, uh, my faith in my Savior had been shaken. And I would argue that if we reflected on our relationship with Jesus, if you find yourself in a relationship with Jesus, you would find that there are moments or there are points where we have been lulled into believing that Jesus just doesn't care about some of the small stuff of our life. Or on the other hand, you might find that we've just stopped expecting Jesus to do anything with the problems of our lives. This morning, what we're going to see in Matthew 8 and 9, and as we continue is that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Jesus has compassion for us. Paul says in Romans 8 that God gave Jesus up for us all. Christ died, but even more, Paul says, Christ was raised and Jesus intercedes. Jesus intercedes sitting at the right hand of the Father for us right now. He intervenes for us right now at the right hand of the Father. And I get that we don't always feel that. I understand that. And I get that when we're going through all of these things, we don't see that and we don't believe that. And I want to tell you right now that doesn't change who Jesus is and what he does for you on or, or on your behalf. And also, I will say that Jesus doesn't condemn us for struggling in our faith in that way. So Jesus cares, Jesus has compassion for the distressed and the dejected. And that's where we have to find and see ourselves this morning in the range of the needs of the healing. It's not just the big stuff. It's not just the back surgeries. It's not just the cancer. It's fevers, it's colds, it's everything Jesus cares about. Jesus is a healer and Jesus just heals. So we're gonna look at a couple of examples. And the first set of examples um, in Matthew 8. Are these examples of Jesus healing individuals in response to their faith to be healed? You'll see repeatedly that Jesus addresses the faith of people that's coming, to, um, coming asking for healing, which I think is really important for us as we look at some of the juxtaposition of those who are struggling in their faith to receive healing or receive something from Jesus. So in Matthew 8, 1 through 3, um, Matthew writes, When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Matthew 8, 14 through 15, if you jump down, says, Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law laying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. You jump over to chapter 9, in verse 20 and 22, it says... "Um, Just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I will be made well. Jesus turned and saw her, have courage, daughter, your faith has saved you. Another translation uh, says that your faith has made you well. There's something really, really special about um, this picture. Jesus is actually on on a way to uh, uh, save and, and heal somebody else. But um, this woman who had been suffering for 12 years sees Jesus, and she's like, man, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch Jesus, then I know I will be made well. Um, I had back pain for, serious back pain for like four months, and I was ready to give up. Sis had been dealing with this for 12 years, and she didn't approach Jesus' um, distressed. She didn't approach Jesus' um. Jaded or cynical, for 12 years as she was suffering through this, she said, man, if I, if I could just get to Jesus, I could be made well. And there's something about that level of faith that, man, that, that, that seems inspirational to me, right? That I don't have a promise to be healed, but I know when Jesus shows up, he has the power to heal me. That's, that's, really, that's really beautiful. I love, I love that. Then in verse 27 and 31, uh, uh, Jesus says, and he went from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind man approached him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I can do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, let it be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus warned them sternly, be sure not- to tell no one be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread news about him throughout the whole area. And I think um, kind of, you know, a little bit, it's a little comical to me, but uh, Jesus doesn't use the word sternly a lot. Like, we don't see that associated with Jesus. So for him to heal somebody miraculously and then tell them, hey, don't go tell anybody about this, but then they do it anyway. Um, it's just I, I think that's a little funny. Um, it's, it's like, hey, we we have wanted this, Lord, we, we know you can do this. And man, I just, once you do, I got to tell everybody, right? In all of these stories, the people recognized that Jesus could heal them and they did what they could to get before Jesus. They didn't approach Jesus doubting or blaming him for their afflictions. You don't see that in here, that, that anybody is, is shaking their fists uh, at Jesus and Jesus responds to the faith of these people by healing them. Now, there are other stories inside of these two chapters, and we're going to flip back to uh, chapter 8, where we see Jesus heal based on the faith and works displayed, not by the people needing healing, but the people interceding or intervening on behalf of those people. The first starts in Matthew 8. Uh, 5 and 13, this is the story of the centurion where uh, he comes to Jesus after he comes down off the mountain and and he says, starting in verse 8, "'Lord,' the centurion replied, "'I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, "'but just say the word and my servant will be healed. "'For I too am a man under authority, "'having soldiers under my command. "'I say to this one, go,' and he goes, "'and to another, come, and he comes. "'And to my servant, do this, and he does this.'" And Jesus heard this, and Jesus was amazed. Um, it's the first of two examples I'm going to give you of Jesus um, acting, let uh, say, humanly. All right, Jesus, the Son of God, who knows everything, the Alpha and Omega, the Word, become flesh. He was amazed. And again, I think we can gloss over that. But there was something about the faith of this centurion that amazed Jesus. And I think it's important for us to see that. Jesus was amazed. And then Jesus, seeing his faith, um, heals the servants. In 16 and 17, we see people who are demon-possessed and those uh, who are sick, and it says that he healed them. In chapter 9, uh, verse 2 and 7, um, in many of the Gospels, they, they uh, write about this, but... Um, uh, uh, Men brought Jesus a paralytic man, and Jesus, seeing their faith, heals this man. And then that story where the woman with the issue of uh, who had been suffering from bleeding for 12, 12 years, Jesus was on the way to heal the leader's daughter um, who had died. And when he shows up there and he says, hey, she's not dead, she's just sleeping, people laughed at Jesus and said, no, 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 she's, she's dead. And he grabs her hand and raises her from the dead. And again, those who can help bring healing uh, uh, to those who are in need of healing require just as much faith as those looking to be healed, right? So even though we ourselves may not be going through um, uh, suffering or we may not have any diseases or we may not be struggling with anything, if we have people around us in our family who need healing, right, having faith that they can be healed has brought healing to the people in this story. Now, again, I, I think this is a good time to pause and just address kind of the, you know, the elephant in the room. That being, there is disappointment. There's missed expectations when Jesus doesn't show up, when Jesus doesn't heal. And I think we can fall into two camps here. One one being Jesus being unaware of our needs, unaware that we need him, uh, or Jesus just flat out not showing up when we need him to show up. And again, I'll remind us that Our our characterization, our understanding, our experience with Jesus does not dictate, does not change who Jesus is. Nestled in between these two passages, there's a story of Jesus calming the winds and the waves. So in in chapter 8, verse 23, Matthew writes, As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so the the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept on sleeping. It's another one of those instances of just kind of seeing the human nature of Jesus. Jesus just asleep. And, you know, some people have uh, written that Jesus sleeping here isn't Jesus in, like, a light sleep. Like, Jesus was tired, physically tired. Jesus was out sleeping. Um, I lived in Florida. We had hurricanes. It's hard to sleep through a hurricane. Jesus is sleeping on a boat in the middle of a hurricane. Uh, so Jesus was, Jesus was out. And so the disciples came to him and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We are going to die. I just want to pause right here. Right, right here, this is where James in April, James in June, James now, I find myself in the midst of violent storms thinking this is it. I'm going to die. This is is the end of me. I need Jesus to save me, and I approach a sleeping Jesus. I think some of us, for years, have been riding in storms, and we approach a sleeping Jesus. Jesus says to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? And two, two phrases here, why are you afraid? And I think the natural response is, we're in the middle of a storm, um, we're going to die. Uh, that's, that's a little fear-inducing. Uh, I've been dealing with this for years. Jesus, don't you understand? Uh, I've tried to get the help that I need. Uh, people have abused me, and people have extorted me, and people have done all these things. Why wouldn't I be afraid? You've given me a reason to not be afraid. He says, why are you afraid? And then he says, you of little faith. You guys have to remember at this point in the disciples following Jesus, this is... um, you know, not long after a number of them have have just started following Jesus. So their experiences with Jesus have been him teaching on the mount. Uh, They have been seeing him heal uh, diseases. I mean, just earlier in the chapter, they see this great faith displayed by the centurion. But up until this point, outside of their commitment to follow Jesus, we haven't really dealt with the disciples and where they are faith-wise. Um, and what we can see here is Jesus saying they have little faith. And when I read this again, thinking about my own self in those storms. I'm like, man, man, that 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 stings a little bit, right? Like that that seems that doesn't seem to be the kind of Jesus that I would expect to show up uh, when I've been going through something or I've been dealing with something that that he says you have little faith and. It reminded me of uh, Proverbs 23, where Solomon writes, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Jesus isn't going to let you perish in the storm. Jesus is not going to let the disciples perish in the storm. And that's what Jesus wanted them to know. That's what Jesus wanted them to believe. That's what Jesus wanted them to to have as their foundation, that when violent storms, when things happen, Jesus isn't going to let them perish. Jesus, to this point, hadn't performed miracles affecting his disciples. Um, He had just performed miracles for others, which is to say, we can see Jesus do something for someone else, and that's really awesome. We can be super excited about that. But if you're like me, it's not until Jesus does something for me that that begins to change me. Right, that then I can start to personalize my relationship with Jesus. And we start to see here, this is where they're starting to personalize their experience and relationship with Jesus. The other thing that we don't see here is Jesus condemning them for feeling the way that they feel. It says that Jesus got up, then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the seas obey him, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus doesn't condemn them. Jesus understands, and Jesus responds to the storm that they're experiencing. On the other hand, right, we might see Jesus just not show up. In John chapter 11 is the story of, of Lazarus. Um, dying. And Jesus' friends, uh, Mary and Martha, send to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick. We need you to come heal him. And Jesus waits. Jesus doesn't show up. John 11, 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, that's where we are. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you had been here, my car wouldn't have got totaled. If you had been here, I wouldn't have lost my job or my house. I wouldn't have been kicked out of school. If you had been here, these things wouldn't have happened to me. And it says, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And just like Jesus being amazed, just like Jesus falling asleep, Jesus was deeply moved. And it's this Jesus. It's this Jesus that I find myself wanting to encounter more that the high priest that we have who's in tune with our weaknesses, who, who says that he cares and has compassion on us, that he can be deeply moved by what's going on in my life. And he says, where have you put him? Lord, they told him, come and see Jesus what? The same Jesus who raises the dead, who calms the, the sea, the the same Jesus who secured for us salvation and eternal joy weeps. So a Jew says, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blindest man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And if you read the rest of the story, you read that uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus tells Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus is aware of his power. Jesus knows that this isn't the end. Yet, Jesus feels these things. And Jesus has compassion. And Jesus responds. Not judgmental, not condemning, but with love. And yes, Jesus solves these problems. He calms the storms. He raises Lazarus. Um, and then a couple of chapters later, they kill Lazarus again, which is, which is a whole, it's crazy. Um, and I can argue for us, you know, Jesus has solved all of these problems that we face today, right, in his life, death, and resurrection. If we take the eternal perspective, Jesus has conquered sin and death. Jesus has overcome the world, and he's given us the Holy Spirit so we can walk through this world knowing that uh, the promise of who Jesus is and and what he's done will come to fruition. But I would also argue that we, we live in this tension of what people have called the Already, but not yet, where we possess every spiritual blessing, we possess all of the knowledge of what Christ has done, yet we still experience the brokenness. We still experience that the fullness of those blessings have not happened yet. The people that Jesus healed, the people that Jesus saved. In this life, we read, they, they still died. They still got old. They still saw other people die. I don't say that to, to bum us out. I say that to ground us. That yes, as, as we, we desire and want and, and, and push for, for healing, um, there is still an end to our bodies. And that's why In Jesus' life and his death, he resurrected so that he secured for us an eternal life with him and the Father. Jesus' response is that that in the practical, us as believers, we continue to have faith. We, We build our faith in him. Through these stories, telling and reminding each other of who Christ is. Not just what we feel, not just what he hasn't done, but who Christ is, who he said he is. And in that, in us serving each other, encouraging one another, comforting one another, we continue to mature in our faith. And we continue to find different ways to handle the storms and the challenges of life. And again, friends, that is not uh, a, a trite platitude. That is not something that we will just sit and claim, and then we'll go into work Monday, we'll go back into the injustices and brokenness of the world, and we'll say, well, you know what I mean, Jesus is going to make all this right. No, that is something that we've, we feel and we know is foundational to us. And we know that Jesus has the power and he has overcome the world, and we ourselves have the power to endure, to persevere. But at the same time, we're going to feel those things, right? We're going to feel that brokenness. let kind of transition into our applications for us. The, the, first, the first is this, to recognize that Jesus did the work for our healing with his life, death, and resurrection on the cross. I just want to beat that drum, that In Jesus He has done the work. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5 says, Yet He Himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment, for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Right, to recognize that, again, with an internal perspective that Jesus has done this work for us is foundational to us continuing to build our faith in him. The second is this. In James 5, 13 to 5, we, we see a command to pray for healing. James writes, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So if you are in need of healing, right, we pray. Come to the elders. Come to your community. And we pray and ask God and believe God for your healing in the very same breath i will also say we will create pathways right to get to that healing if we can right if if there's medicine if there are prescriptions if there's therapy whatever those things are like let's pray and then let's also work out our healing through the means that we have on the other side if we have friends who we know need healing but we ourselves don't in James 2, we see this uh, command to show our faith by our works. It says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, stay warm, and be well, well fed, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. Just because we have faith in Christ to heal us if we don't do anything with that, or we don't act on behalf of those we have faith for, what do we do? All right. So practically without getting prescriptive, it could be as easy as paying for someone to see a therapist. It could be picking up a copay for somebody. It could be um, taking someone to a doctor right that could be our faith one in praying for them but then us working out of that to see them be healed sitting with them coming around them being a friend to them moving things off of our calendars and out of our schedules to help one another to have faith have faith in the healing secured for you through the work of jesus Show your faith, build your faith by your works to yourself and on behalf of others. And and I would just caution us to avoid the trite platitudes of, uh, well, you know, all things work together for the good of those that that love the Lord. And it's like, yes, that is true. In the midst of the storm, that's not the thing that I need to hear, right? I do need to hear that. But what does it look like for us to discern in which we bring those words, those good words of truth? As I prepared for, again, this morning, um, I couldn't sleep many nights because, again, I'm aware, of, I'm aware of the limitations of standing here and saying, hey, have faith. Hey, this is what Christ does. And while I'm 100% convicted of that and understand that, I still understand that we have to walk out of here. We have to deal with the brokenness and we have to deal with the difficulty and we have to deal with healthcare systems and we have to deal with injustice and we have to deal with people that are acting against us. But even in the midst of that, right, I, I believe that we can and we should have and grow in our faith and we can and we should be to each other. Um, the hands and feet of God, and we can and should remind each other of Jesus being the life, death, and resurrection, that we have a hope that's eternal. That even now, even in the already but not yet, that, that Jesus speaks to us, and Jesus cares and has compassion on us, and we can be that for each other. I want to read this in closing, and again, I pray that we don't hear these words as empty words or empty promises, but this is where we can anchor ourselves. And this is what I read to myself. And I I have a desire to believe this. Some days I do really well. And I'm like, yes, yes and amen. And if I'm honest, there are some days where I don't want to hear this. And again, I get that. I understand that. But I want to read this over us, and then we're going to pray. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, talking to a church in persecution, writes this, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body for who, for, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people. It may cause thanksgiving to increase the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Therefore, you do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction. It's producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temp- temporary. For what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. God, I pray those words will be written and hidden in our hearts. God, you are aware of our weaknesses. God, you are aware of our needs for comfort. And God, we are promised and told that you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our comforts, so that we may comfort one another. And I just pray, God, that we would be that to each other, God, that we would accept your comfort. Lord, that we would accept and believe and expect your healing, miraculous, Lord, through the works in the hands of doctors and nurses and therapists, Lord, but then also inner, inner, innerly through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that our faith would grow, that we would have faith for each other, that we can and will be healed. Lord, that our focus be on things that are eternal, Lord, and not just on what's here and temporary. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.